Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Regressing to the mean since 2015, it's the Hockey PDO Cast with your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO Cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and uh, making a return appearance because we have some unfinished business with our with our top ten list. It's uh, it's Andrew Berkshire. Andrew, what's going on, man? Not much. I'm just looking at this list and making sure that I don't leave anybody out that uh, really deserves to be in there. Mm. Okay, let's let's get right into it because we uh, we're going to do the right wingers and the left wingers on this show, and we'll start off with the right wing. Um, the it's an interesting list of players because I feel like the top of this group, maybe the first five, six, or maybe even seven guys you can make an argument, I feel really good about. And I'm, and I'm, you know, you could interchange them amongst that tier and have one guy a few spots higher and one guy a few guys lower, a few spots lower. But for the most part, they all deserve to be there. But then after that, as I was rounding out my top 10, um, there's players I, I like and I think that have a lot of upside and have shown a lot so far, but not players that I necessarily would be sort of willing to to bet everything on. They're not necessarily kind of great players that would just instantly jump off the page, which I don't know if you agree with that or not, but I felt like I could have, you know, there's like 10 guys that could have been in that 8 to 10 spot for me, basically. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think one thing that I notice with wingers every time I look at them is that unlike centers where it's like this huge dogfight to get into like any kind of ranking wingers like the talent drops off pretty precipitously Mm -hmm. in terms of like all around play and you see more guys who are mostly offense right Mm -hmm. it's just not a position where all around play is as focused on yeah which makes sense just based on the requirements of of the position but i think that you know uh, my, my 10th guy for example is someone who you could make the argument I'm cheating a little bit because he has played center for a large portion of his career, but, it, it, you know, he's playing wing right now. At least it seems that the coaching staff wants him to do that, and that's Matt Duchesne. And uh, the reason I put him at 10, honestly, was because I liked him the most there as opposed to some of the other guys that brought on my honorable mentions that I felt weird having in the top 10. But I guess you could make an argument, like whether it's a James Neal or a Patrick Hornquist or Kyle Pozo, or you go on and on, on down the list, like... I felt weird about having those guys as the 10th best right winger, but I may, maybe they could have been. I don't know. Yeah, I had Deshane listed as a center, so I, I unfortunately don't have him on here, although he definitely would have made the cut mm-hmm. if I would have ranked him that way. But my 10th right winger is the ageless wonder, Yarmer Yager. Ooh. 
Yeah, I, I just I look at that guy, and even like uh, we talked about Barkov on the last podcast, and a, a couple of people have pointed out lately that Barkov's numbers away from Yager aren't very good, and I I think that's a little bit unfair because a lot of his numbers away from him, he was a lot younger, mm-hmm. but man, Yarmar Yager, he makes everybody pretty good, and I don't know what it is that he is able to do, but. He can barely skate at this point, yet he's a fantastic transition player, and you can't get the puck off of him. If you try, you end up going like headfirst into his butt, and it, he's just so strong, and he doesn't even look that big anymore. Like he, He's pretty skinny. Everything that guy does turns to gold. It's really amazing. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, it's pretty awesome, man. I, I, I just wonder... I hope. I honestly hope this never stops. I hope that Yager is in our lives, being this good for for the foreseeable future. I want. I want my kids and my grandkids to also enjoy Yarmar Yager the way I'm enjoying him right now. <laughs> you gotta like make sure you record every game, and unless or in case uh, the NHL screws up the website again. <laughs> yes. Uh, no, Yager is is a very deserving uh, ten. I had him. He was definitely in that sort of just missed the cut list in, in in the 11 to 15 range and and he's he's amazing it's it, it's crazy how good that line was um number nine i have a guy near and dear to your heart brendan gallagher yep i've got the same guy at number nine um, my right wing list is pretty much the exact same as what i had for Sportsnet. Mm-hmm. Uh, i was pretty confident in the way that that shook out uh more confident than the way the center shook out uh going forward brendan gallagher for checking buzzsaw like i don't know if there's anybody in the league who's quite as effective at just creating absolute chaos and you know like one thing i've noticed with gallagher his entire career with the canadians whatever line he's on that's the line that produces offense that night like he's just an offense producer to the max and everybody loves playing with the guy with the kid like He's an infectious personality, and I kind of love his smile, too, as much as that's not really a factor. Yeah, I think that uh, a lot of fan bases out there would definitely describe him as an infection, that's for sure. <laughs> no, but, Absolutely. But he, he, he definitely is one of those players, you know, the the guy that you, you, you hate playing against him, but you'd love playing with him. And, and it, it makes sense that last season, Carey Price's absence got all the headlines for what was wrong with the, with the Canadians. But I remember distinctly that after that tear they went on at the start of the year, it was, wasn't surprising that their play dipped quite a bit when Gallagher was out with injury. And it, it makes sense because he's just such a, he's such a kind of facilitator there where a lot of things run through him and he just makes, he, he's sort of like the engine of that group, right? He makes everything go. And, and uh, I, I think people might not realize just how, how good he is at so many facets of the game. Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of people think that he's just a net front guy, but uh, part of what makes Gallagher really impressive is like he's pretty good at carrying the puck. And in terms of like playmaking, he doesn't get any uh, press whatsoever. Mm-hmm. But in and around the net, he is really good at finding like those little short passes to players in the slot or like, uh, you know, the Royal Road passes across the front of the net that find find a guy who was kind of hiding in coverage. He's really good at finding those plays. I think he's a lot smarter of a player than people give him credit for. Uh, people think he's just like willing to take punishment, and that's his main skill. But he, he's really smart and you know good at drawing penalties. He knows where the line is for the most part, although I think he was kind of targeted a little bit by officials for a couple years for getting two in goalies' faces. He's kind of learned from that and stays about another foot away from the crease now. Yeah, yeah, I, I love the... 
One of, one of my favorite skills a player can have, especially a forward, is, is the guys that drive that penalty differential. They can play right on the line there where they get the opposition to take a lot of penalties they probably shouldn't, but don't necessarily give them back themselves. And, and that's such a huge luxury when you have a guy like that on your team. Completely agreed. Completely um, agreed. Okay, so number eight, I have Mark Stone. And number seven, I have Tyler Toffoli. Um, who do you have in those two spots? I have Mark Stone at eight as well, oh, and at number seven, I've got Jakub Voracek. Ooh, so I have Voracek five. So we'll get to Voracek in a second. Let's uh, let, let's talk about Mark Stone here first. All right, uh, Mark Stone, a uh, guy that I've liked since junior, but who I really started to respect more than uh, I thought possible when he was a rookie. Actually, uh, what what made the big difference for me with Mark Stone in terms of like this is a guy to watch was I heard him do an interview where he talked about how he would line guys up for body checks in the neutral zone or like as they were coming out of the uh, out of the offensive zone and they would flinch and then he would just ditch the check and go for the puck and like that uh, you know go on a rush or whatever and like that level of intelligence in a game this fast not many guys can do that and obviously he leads the league in takeaways which is you know a bit of a questionable stat but all of the NHL's real-time stats are, but obviously there's something there if he's mm-hmm. if he's leading the league multiple years uh, in a, a stat that Datsuk used to lead in. Yep. I, I think he's just you know incredibly versatile for a winger. I, I do wonder if he could transition into being a center because he has the skill set, you know, in in all three zones to do that. I wonder if he'd be an even better player. Yeah. No, I I remember when I was making this list, I when I put him there at eight, I I before I'd even looked at yours, I I knew you'd have him high just because I mean, we mentioned that sort of the loose puck recoveries and the takeaways. I mean, it, it's a player right up your alley in terms of guys like the prototype of guys you love. Yeah, absolutely. He he's just like he's a hound on the puck, and he that kind of play like it facilitates so much for everyone around him. It, it it's one of those underrated qualities that's just kind of coming out now in terms of. Uh, being able to track it and understand how big of a difference it makes on the play. Mm-hmm. Um, so Tyler Toffoli, who I had number seven, I'm assuming you have him a bit higher then. Yeah, I have Tyler Toffoli way up at three. Ooh, okay. So I, I love Tyler Toffoli as a player. And I think that I, the, the thing that I love about him most is when you look at his sort of his, his career trajectory, it, it is one of those smooth sort of every year he just gets a little bit better. And I, I feel like fans sometimes expect that from every guy this this kind of prog- progression in their early 20s where they're just going to get better every year and, and sometimes you know guys stagnate or they regress a bit and it doesn't work out the way you'd always love to but Toffoli has has been sort of the, the the prime scenario of a guy that I mean two goals 12 goals 23 31 I feel like he could easily get into the high 30s this year if if he gets the ice time and the volume and and he's a heck of a player and and when you mention everything the Kings do well obviously guys like Kopitar come up and for some reason Jonathan quickest still comes up as a reason why but Tyler Toffoli should be really high up that list in terms of the driving forces for that team yeah like you said he's almost like an HF boards version of what a player should do for their development right like if uh, every fan projected how their prospect was going to develop it would be Tyler Toffoli's career trajectory I agree that I think he could get 35 to like even you know, bordering on 40 goals this year. He's also going to be really dependent upon in LA to score goals mm-hmm. with, uh, with Gabarik out. And obviously like we covered on the last podcast, Dwight King's playing with Anzi Kopitar. Yeah. 
poor Enzi Kopitar. Yes, not a not a not a recipe for success. Yeah, exactly. And I think one thing that people haven't really clued into yet is that while Toffoli's numbers have been continually going up, a lot of people credit that to Jeff Carter. Mm-hmm. And Carter, you know, definitely has had a huge impact on Toffoli's career. But as Toffoli's, you know, progressed, Carter has begun to regress a little bit. And his numbers are still very good. But part of that is Tyler Toffoli is now carrying him a little bit. So it's it's one of those situations where, you know, like at a certain point, everybody is looking at Jeff Carter being, okay, he's the play driver at center, but you you miss it when all of a sudden the student becomes the teacher a little bit. And and I think that's where we're at now in uh, 2016 is Toffoli's the big play driver on that line now. Yeah, and I, you mentioned you look at that forward group and <laughs> – they're going to be a you know a good puck possession team again, of course. It's their bread and butter. But they don't have very many guys that can finish up front, especially. And, and they're going to need someone to convert those opportunities. And Tafoli is, is, is prime for a huge offensive season. Uh, I have Nikita Kucherov at six. And I, I'm glad that the Lightning got him back on board because I like watching Kucherov play. And it would have sucked if he missed the start of the year, like we're seeing with a guy like Hampus Lindholm, for example. But... Uh, it, it's just amazing. It's has Steve Eiserman ever lost a game of chicken? I mean, the fact that they got him on board for the contract that they did is just remarkable. It's basically wizardry at this point because Kucherov is such a high end finisher, but he's also not a, very, a, a liability like you think in in other areas of the game. And they're just not. They're, they're, you just you just gotta love the guy if you watch him play. Yeah, absolutely. And I honestly, I don't know how Eiserman does it because like you said, he's never lost a, a game of chicken. And I know a lot of people are saying like, oh, it's a bridge deal. I thought we all agreed that bridge deals are terrible, but it's a bridge deal for the three years where the Lightning are going to be the most competitive. You know, like I think everybody knows this is their prime time to win a Stanley Cup. And I wouldn't be surprised if that happens this year. But yeah, Kucherov, amazing, amazing goal scorer and you know i thought his breakout year i definitely thought that he was the guy kind of uh riding along with the palat and johnson show Mm -hmm. but he i think he's the best player on that line now and you know whether it's transitioning the puck or or scoring even defending like he's got strong numbers all around like you said and an extremely exciting player to watch too and a guy that I remember him being pretty lauded coming out of the draft, but he fell due to the quote-unquote Russian factor. Mm. And, you know, sometimes teams just take advantage of that, and obviously it's paid off big time in this case. Yeah, and the fact that he's 5'11", I'm sure, also contributed to that. Yeah, absolutely. The the so-called undersized guys who yes. are, you know, not that far below average. Yeah, no, but no, Kucherov's amazing, and, and he scored 30 goals last year, and he's also one of these guys where, I mean, last year was finally the first year where he got he was sort of the man there, especially when Stamkos went out that he got, he was the trigger man on the power play and, and he, he played a lot more. I mean, he jumped from under 15 minutes a night in 2014, 2015 to over 18 last year. And if he gets that kind of volume again, he could very easily, just like we said with the Foley kind of hover in that 35 to 40 goal range, which very, very few guys are doing in the league this year, these days. So, um, I, I love Kucherov. I, where'd, where'd you have him on your list? Uh, I also had Kucherov at six. Oh, okay, perfect. Um, so number five, I have Voracek, who you mentioned, uh, who was a bit lower on your list. And I think that he's a heck of a player. I mean, you look at his stats last year, and he had a quote-unquote down year with 11 goals in 73 games. But then you look 
to your right slightly in, in the box score and you see a 5.2 shooting percent. And I mean, he had one power play goal where he had 27 in the, th- in the three years before combined. So I think that if you were sort of a, a betting man or if you're playing fantasy hockey or something like that, you should probably uh, take advantage of his suppressed stock and, and jump on that because I, I think those stats are, are going to be very hard pressed to continue, especially if he shoots over 200 times again. Yeah, the one thing that kind of knocked Voracek down for me was the lack of even strength goals. Mm-hmm. And that's been, I think it's been two years now where he's really struggled to do that. Yep. And I, I wonder, you know, like, is that a situation where he just doesn't want to shoot at even strength? Or is his, uh, is his shot betraying him a little bit? It seems a little bit early for it to be declined. It could just be bad luck. But... Uh, as a playmaker first, I usually look at wingers to be, you know, more primarily goal scorers, and that's entirely my bias, I think. But I think that knocks him down a little bit for me. As much as Voracek is like one of the best possession drivers from the wing and like everything else in the game, he's great at. But I, I need a little bit more goal scoring for a top ten winger to be. You know, like super high on my list. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. And I, I think that when we were discussing Evgeny Malkin, I believe, and you were talking about him as a as a prototypical power forward, and and you watch Voracek. I, I I remember that clip in the preseason this year where I think it was a an overtime game against the Rangers, and he's sort of just shielding the puck from Ryan McDonough and skating laps in the offensive zone before finally going to the net and finishing it. And and you watch a player like that, and you just you can't help but be enamored by the uh, immense potential of this guy. So I I don't know, maybe. I I'm just kind of being clouded by that and maybe he maybe his on ice results actually haven't necessarily warranted him being this high but i just i think that even at 27 years old i feel like just like i don't know i i, I just want so much from this guy maybe it'll he'll never achieve it but i mean he did have 81 points the year before so it's it's uh it's not bad if he can get back to those levels yeah it's, it's not like he hasn't had a lot of success in his career yeah. what i find interesting is like have you ever noticed how similar him and claude Giroux are mm-hmm. like Giroux's a better goal scorer but in terms of like play style and even like the look, they have the same beard and everything. They look like they could be brothers whenever playoffs roll around. Yep. I find that really interesting for two guys who play so well together too. Well, and I think that, you know, it's not necessarily an optimal thing for them just in terms of distributing talent evenly. And uh, one guy has to play on his off wing, but when they load up Simmons, Giroux and Voracek, I just watch that. And I'm just like, if I was the other team and I saw those three guys come over the boards and, and come on the ice, I'd be, I'd be pretty terrified myself. Yeah, it's like it's not my shift right now. Yes, yeah, no. Oh, someone coach, else go, coach. I'm off. I'm off. I got to tie my tie my laces. <laughs> um, all right, fourth overall uh, on the right wing list, I have a uh, I have Blake Wheeler here, and I'll just mention I, I had Pavelski third, and I thought that those two guys were pretty interchangeable. I, I really wanted to put Wheeler third, but Pavelski's production and just I don't know how much I enjoy that Pavelski Thornton connection just kind of maybe uh, swayed him just a little bit ahead of Wheeler for me. But those two guys are right there. Yeah, I have the same uh, order there, but I have uh, Wheeler at fifth and Pavelski fourth because I had Toffoli higher. Yep. But yeah, those guys, yeah, pretty interchangeable in terms of overall impact. Uh, obviously, Pavelski can put the puck in the net a little bit higher rate. Uh, I think Wheeler's a little bit better all around. Uh, Wheeler, for whatever reason, earlier in his career was considered a little bit like soft for his size, but man, he uses his physicality like extremely efficiently. He doesn't get in like scrums and everything like that, but you're not getting the puck from him. And if you go like if there's a loose puck along the boards, Blake Wheeler is getting it, you know, like the combination of speed and reach and like skating ability for a guy who's like, what, six, five. 
I don't know if there's many guys in the league who can skate like him, period, but to do it at 6'5", it's just incredible. It's uh, it's a huge advantage for him. Yeah, he's he's such a smooth player to watch. And uh, another one of those guys that probably could have uh, could have been doing these same things on the Bruins if they hadn't given up on him a bit too early. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, so Pavelski, Pavelski third. Uh, Pavelski, listen, if he wasn't playing with Thornton, he almost certainly wouldn't be this high on the list. So maybe maybe that's a good argument for him probably being bumped down a little lower just because but at the same time, like a lot of these wingers are gonna be reliant on on the centers that can get them the pucks and put them in position to succeed and and Pavelski should get credit for being such an amazing finisher as he is. So I feel pretty good with him this high on the list, although I guess you could make the argument that he could drop a few spots. Yeah, you could definitely make that argument, but I think as long as like a guy has sustained success, it's hard to to, to write it off. And, you know, it's been a while now that Pavelski's been pretty dominant. And I think when you look at, like, what he's doing individually on the ice, his his success is warranted. Um, he's actually a much better passer than people give him credit for. I, I was really surprised when I looked into it that, like, his most common plays are all passes and, like, good high leverage passes, too, all in the offensive zone, stuff like that, uh, creating plays. Him and uh, Thornton are great at giving goes and stuff like that and just creating lanes, I think that's part of also like, you know, Thornton's influence on him as a player, like developmentally, is that uh, he's learned some of the tricks to almost make like passes that don't look like they're doing anything, but they open up lanes. And I think that's where like Thornton specifically blows people out of the water is he makes passes that don't necessarily create any offense, but everybody has to react to them. And then all of a sudden he's got the puck back and there's an open lane and he'll find somebody in the slot. And, and I think Pavelski has been a big part of creating those open spaces and then also shaking coverage in the slot to get a, a shot off. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a perfect pairing. Um, so I thought that the top two guys on this list that we're about to discuss were sort of in a tier of their own, as good as the guys we just mentioned are, I think that, uh, Patrick Kane and Vlad Tarasenko, um, are just kind of in a class of their own. I, I Tarasenko first and Patrick Kane second. Yeah, I had the same, and I agree with you that they are kind of in a league of their own, especially in terms of offensive production. Like, I know a lot of people were upset at me that I had Tarasenko above Kane on the Sportsnet piece, and I'm sticking to that just because I think Tarasenko is a better all-around player. And, you know, part of that could be uh, growing up in the Hitchcock system where there's no excuses uh, for not playing defensively. But uh, Patrick Kane, I, I think my only knock on him as a player is that because he's good, so good offensively, it seems like coaches let him get away with everything, and it does hurt him a little bit, especially on the defensive side. And like I think we saw in the World Cup that, you know, like John Tortorella said before the season, before the tournament started, that everybody had to be accountable, but Patrick Kane was allowed to do whatever he wanted, and I think that really hurt them. Like whenever you saw Patrick Kane, I know like people were surprised that he had zero points, but. I kind of wasn't because it seemed like the entire American team gave the puck to Kane and then just kind of stood around and waited for him to do something. And every team was like, okay, just focus on Kane. And when there's that much focus on him, like he's shifty as anybody in the league, but Mm -hmm. he can't do everything himself. He needs teammates. And I think whenever you give Kane too much time, he, he ends up being a little bit too fancy and he can hurt himself. Yeah. Um, I mean, you mentioned sort of Tarasenko as an all-around player and, and how playing under Hitchcock has probably reinforced that and, and helped him in the long run. But I'm not sure if this would be good for the Blues. But man, if you could just like see Vlad Tarasenko just kind of open up and just and just like he's he's 
look at his ice time. I mean, last year he, he got a nice little step up, but he still only played 18 and a half minutes a night. And, and if, if you just like made him just all out workhorse and you just fed everything through him and, and just open him up playing in a more kind of freestyle system, I feel like it would be a pretty amazing result. But I guess we'll have to settle for 40 goals and 74 points like he had last season. <laughs> yeah. Not, not I bad. mean, like, I don't know if he could score 50, but he, if anybody in the league could do that outside of Ovechkin, it's probably Tarasenko. And I'd love to see him be able to open it up for a season or at least get the ice time to like have a shot at it. What frustrated me about Hitchcock last year was the ice time in the playoffs where Tarasenko was consistently getting less than Troy Brower. And like, I don't think Troy Brower sucks, which a lot of people have been saying over the summer after Calgary signed him. I think Troy Brower is like a really good uh, tweener guy, like second or third line scorer who can put up like 40 points a year. Mm-hmm. Compared to Tarasenko, like, come on. <laughs> no wonder the, the the Blues lost. Like, you're never going to make the Stanley Cup Finals when Vladimir Tarasenko isn't your most used winger. Like, it's just insanity. It's that kind of overthinking that coaches do nowadays where it's just like everything's about being safe. And sometimes you've got to go for the win. Yeah. No, he's uh... – Tarasenko's amazing. I mean, the combination of him being just a flat-out scoring chance machine, especially like just waiting for the perfect opportunity to strike around the net and his finishing ability with his shot. I mean, it's it's such a deadly combo. I feel like he could conceivably even go up another level. I mean, we just discussed about how Toffoli's been sort of, if you look at his counting stats, he's been the perfect progression year by year. I mean, Tarasenko has also been the same. A lot of it has to do with Hitchcock kind of having more and more trust in him as he's, as he's developed, but... Um, I think that there's still probably another gear to go with him. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised either. And I think one thing with Tarasenko that I always notice is like when you watch him play, you expect to look at his his bio page on NHL.com after the game, and you're like, oh yeah, he's like six four, two hundred and forty pounds. Like he's just a giant, but he's only six foot, and like he's a strong six foot at two twenty. But he's he plays so much bigger than you expect, uh, or th- than you expect him to actually be. Like he's so strong down low you can't really get the puck from him and and that's as big of a part of his game as his shot yeah yeah he's a he's a very thick young man um we'll uh let's hear from our sponsors here quickly and then on the other side we'll uh we'll jump into the left wing rankings sounds good let me tell all of you a little bit about fresh books who aside from jumping on the pdo cast bandwagon and so generously sponsoring the show have one other thing going for them They've recently unveiled a brand new user-friendly interface that's made running a small business and working as a freelancer, like I do myself, easier than ever before. As an online accounting service, FreshBooks is designed to save you time and help you keep all of your checks and balances in order, whether that's by helping you to create professional-looking invoices in a matter of moments, keeping a list of your expenses so that you don't have to keep using that old shoebox full of receipts, or just tracking how long you've spent working on various projects so you know what to bill your employers for. The best part... FreshBooks is now offering a 30-day unrestricted free trial to all of my listeners. To claim it, just go to freshbooks.com slash pdocast and enter hockey pdocast in the how you heard about us section. That's freshbooks.com slash pdocast. All right, we're back. It's uh, it's left wing time. Um, so much like the right wingers, I felt really good about the top of this class. And then I'd say the 9-10 spot, 
I went back and forth with like five or six names there. And I ultimately settled at Atlantis Cog 10 and Palat 9. But I'd be willing to hear an argument for guys like Skinner and Sod And I mean, even Rick Nash, who's declined quite a bit and, and, and looks like he's on sort of the downslope. But even even he still, if you watch him on, on the right night, I mean, he looks like an amazing force. So there's a lot of guys here that could be in the on the bottom bottom half of the top 10. But I, I went with Palat and Landis Gog. Yeah, what I was surprised about most when I looked at left wingers was that there was quite a big difference between left and right wingers in terms of defensive play. Mm-hmm. And, and I wonder if that's a systemic thing, like, you know, the old left wing lock that teams go into when they're defending leads. I wonder if there's more pressure on left wingers to uh, to push that uh, defensive play a little bit more than, than right wingers. So I, I was a bit surprised at that. But like you said, towards the bottom of the, the top 10, there's... There's a lot of players that could make it on there, uh, although I think I'm pretty set with my top 10, but uh, my 10th my player was Daniel Sedin. Mm. Who's still still doing his thing. I mean, we didn't really mention Henrik Sedin when we did our top 10 centers, but he was an honorable mention of mine, and it's still amazing that those two guys, even with the entire wasteland around them in Vancouver, have still been able to stay productive and 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 maybe more so Henrik Sedin although I guess you could Daniel Sedin as well um in these past few years the point totals haven't as necessarily been as high as you know we'd come to expect during their peaks but they've sort of redefined themselves as really really good defensive players I mean I guess they're two-way guys at this point but it's remarkable how they uh their longevity and and it speaks to just how they've been able to kind of redefine their games yeah for sure and you know like there was a couple years there where it looked like, uh, or at least one year where it looked like they were falling off a little bit. And then like the last year they're back into the 60, 70 point range, which is, you know, pretty solid considering. And, and like you said, it's a bit of a waistline in Vancouver. And I think that's an important point because, you know, as much as they worked well with the uh, verbata for a bit and that that's good, like having one line that can score, it's so easy for teams to shut down a one line team these days but you can't do it against the Sedins. And I think that makes such a like a statement about them specifically that the, Vancouver's been a one-line team for like three years now, and they continue to push that production to, you know, maybe not the elite levels that they used to have, but they're still extremely good top-line forwards. And that that's tough when everything is pushing against you specifically, to, to push the play like that. And like you said, they're, they're great two way players. And as much as uh, I, I think they always have been, there's definitely been more of a focus, <clears throat> excuse me on that lately. Yeah. And imagine with a guy like Yager, just his ability to even with deteriorating speed, although he was never the fastest guy and, and with the advanced age, still being able to remain effective just by sort of understanding body positioning and being in the right place at the right time and kind of thinking the game ahead of your opponent. I mean, the Sedins, we saw it in the World Cup, just once they get into their office down low there and they get the cycle going, I feel like they can pretty much do that effectively up until like, like as long as they want to, I feel like if you told me five years from now, they're still doing it, playing 15 minutes a night, but just dominating in those 15 minutes. I would, I would totally view that as a believable thing. Yeah. So would I, uh, they're just, they're so dominant in passing the puck and positioning and, and obviously knowing where each other are going to be, which with their special twin powers, uh, you know, it's, it's hard to say like, 
they aren't fast skaters, but I think they still play a fast game. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, they slow things down to whatever uh, speed they want in the neutral zone. But once things happen in the in the offensive zone, like they don't play a slow game anymore. They they wear you down with speed of passing, and and I think that's a, a big focus for uh, for me. Is like skating speed doesn't necessarily indicate pace in, yes. in a game, and I think the the Sedins have maintained great pace despite being slow skaters yep yeah i mean i guess unless you're a guy like Connor mcdavid the the speed of the of a puck moving through a pass is probably faster than uh, any individual player um so who do you have at number nine i have at number nine uh it was a tough one for me but Jaden schwartz mm. and the big knock on him is health like uh i i had a few blues people saying that he you know hasn't been that unhealthy but when you look at his games played like he's had some significant times missed in his career and he, he's got to find a way to stay healthy. And it's not like he's injury prone in one area. There's been a lot of freak injuries for him, but uh, I know, you know, like Sammy Sallow, can we really say he was injury prone? It was all crazy, weird injuries, yeah. including he broke his like, testicle. He got, yeah. yeah. He got bit by a snake once and, <laughs> but like some guys that just happens to, and it's unlucky, but Schwartz has got to learn to stay or not learn to stay healthy, but get lucky and stay healthy Yes, because I think he's an incredible hockey player that we haven't had as much exposure to, to learn that as we should have. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Um, okay. Rattle off a couple, a couple of the next names on your list. All right. Next couple names on my list are, uh, Johnny Gaudreau and Brad Marchand. Hmm. So I had Brad Marchand at seven which I guess lines up with you. And I had Johnny yep. Goodrow at four. So I had, I had Goodrow a bit higher uh, and we'll, we'll get into him in a bit. Um, uh, what is there really to say about Marshawn? I feel like we discussed him quite a bit when we, when we talked about Bergeron at the top of our center rankings. I mean, he's probably the best penalty killing winger in the league. Um, he's, he's just a fantastic talent. He, he contributes so much. And I think the interesting thing to me is obviously you know, he earned himself quite a bit of money with that jump and goal scored last year where he jumped up from the mid-20s up to 37. And I'm not sure how likely him repeating with 37 goals is again, per se. But, I mean, listen, he's always been one of the highest efficiency finishers in the league. And then last year, he just basically started shooting a lot more. So if that continues, I mean, he could quite quite conceivably, again, finish somewhere in the low to mid-30s in goals. And considering all the other things he provides and the defensive value, I mean, he's just just one heck of a player. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, like I, I'm with you that I don't know if he'll repeat last season. And then the first game of the season this year, yes. he had five points. And Without I was like, Patrice okay. Too. <laughs> yeah, never mind. He's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if he has, like, if he doesn't reach last year's goal total, but has a career high in points this year. Uh, you know, I have not liked Brad Marchand for a very long time because I was a Canadians fan and he's incredibly annoying and dirty. But it's impossible not to respect him. You know, like, in just in the ways that he comes at you, he's so varied. You know, like he could beat you with skating. He could beat you with passing. He can find a way to score from the perimeter because his shot is just ridiculous. Or he could draw a penalty or he could injure your best player. <laughs> he's uh, he's an all-around guy, you know. Uh, there's not nothing really that you could uh, – you can – say about him this bad outside of you know periodic lack of discipline once in a while but still i'm pretty sure he has positive penalty differential yeah yeah no he's uh he's awesome man it, it, it it's a testament to him how 
I, f- I feel like early in his career, it could have really gone south in terms of the shenanigans and getting himself in trouble. And he still occasionally has a few dust-ups, but he lets he lets his play do the talking much more frequently these days, which is, is good because he's he's way too talented and way too effective not to do that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, there was definitely like the stuff with Vancouver over the couple years around, like the time that they won the cup, that was like, is this guy going to be, you know, like ruining his own career because he can't handle you know, like a, a rivalry at all. Like yep. I think that Milan Lucic was a little bit the same. And I wonder if getting rid of Lucic helped him calm down a little bit because they kind of fed off each other in, you know, like getting angry and doing stupid stuff during games. And it, maybe it's just like my bias, but it seems like last year without Lucic was like the big turning point for Marshawn that he focused on hockey way more than the antics. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, so a guy that we haven't mentioned yet, I had him at eight. Um, I'm not sure. Maybe he's lower down your list or maybe he's higher as uh, Mike Hoffman. Mike Hoffman didn't make mine. I'll, I'll put him in my honorable mentions. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons why he didn't is I'd like to see him play a full year on a top line. Uh, a lot of his goal scoring over the first couple of years of his career has been playing in the bottom six and you know, like being able to do that in the bottom six is super impressive, but he also hasn't been facing top checkers. And uh, I'd like to see how well his goal scoring, you know, continues because he's a big perimeter shooter. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe he scored like half of his goals from outside the slot last year, which is really, really rare. And uh, I wonder if that's like, obviously his shot's crazy good, but as teams adjust to him, is he going to see like a big decline in goal scoring? I don't know. So I'm kind of, he's like in my 10 to 15 range. I mean, it's fair also when a guy at like 25 years old just suddenly bursts onto the scene and scores nearly 30 goals. I mean, he's done it for two straight years now, which gives me a bit more confidence in it. But you're right. I'd, I'd like to see him take that next step. And hopefully under Guy Boucher, he he gets a little bit of a longer leash because I know that uh, uh, a, a lot a lot of – I mean, a lot of, I love Senators Twitter. There's a lot of great uh, follows there, and, and they're very active and very vocal. And I know a lot of them were very critical about how Hoffman was deployed, and there would be times where he'd just randomly kind of for no reason fall into the doghouse of the coach and, and wouldn't be used nearly as much as he probably should. So hopefully that changes this year and, and we see him uh, – see if he's actually for real. Cause I, I think he definitely is just purely bad. I mean, I have him in my top eight on at the positions. I'm clearly pretty high on him. Yeah. And honestly, like I'm not saying that he's not a, a great player. And I think uh, for any sense, fans listening, like 10 to 15 is an, an, an insult. That's still like a group of great players. And I, I do think that uh, during the playoff series with Montreal a couple of years ago, when randomly, I believe it was Dave Cameron decided to put Hoffman on the fourth line after he was, you know, playing great in the first couple games, I honestly think that blew the series for the Senators. Mm-hmm. Uh, playing Mike Hoffman like five to eight minutes a game in the playoffs when you're desperate for goal scoring against Carey Price is just mental, you know. And those last couple games were so close. The Senators could have come back in that series from down 3 nothing, <laughs> and instead they put their best goal scorer on their fourth line. Yeah, yeah, uh, bizarre, bizarre decision. I guess that's why he doesn't have a job anymore with a sense. Um, I have Max Petrovetti sixth. Um, another guy that's near and dear to your heart. Where do you have Patch? I have Patch way up at four. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have uh, at six. I have Thomas Tatar. Ooh, yeah, I know. I, I know that you love Thomas Tatar. Um, I'll, I'll give you the floor here. Get, uh, yeah. r- write your love letter to Tatar. <laughs> All right, Tatar. Uh, 
I don't know what, what it is that uh, people don't really give him credit for, but uh, there's no real statistic that you can look at with the tower where he's not great. You know, like his, uh, his even strength production is fantastic. His possession numbers are fantastic. His possession driving numbers are fantastic. He's a good defensive player. Uh, I think maybe coming up in the Detroit system helped him a little bit, you know, playing with Datsuk and Zetterberg, you, you learn the intricacies of the game. He's also like a super efficient player. Like he's just a great decision maker. He doesn't dump the puck in. He doesn't dump the puck out. He's always carrying it or passing it. He's got good success rates and everything that he does. He's just like, he's good at everything. And on top of that, he's a really high quality finisher as well. And an entertaining player to watch. And I I think there's some bias in me for Tatar in that, uh, I, I just like the way he plays. I find him extremely entertaining to watch, and uh, I hope that people recognize him a little bit more, including his own coach, who didn't like playing him last year for whatever reason. Yes, and I think they'll need him this year. I mean, with Datsuk not there anymore, they'll need some of these guys to step up because it's pretty barren on, on the margins there, and I feel like we're used to the Red Wings being sort of this standard of success and obviously the playoff streak and all that, but I think they're going to struggle quite a bit to to be very competitive unless they start relying on some of these guys and actually deploying them properly. And I think that, I mean, Tatar is starting the year right now with Nielsen and Zetterberg. So that's a good start in terms of getting, getting him enough minutes to actually uh, contribute some high end totals. Yeah, absolutely. It's, they've got to make the decision now that, you know, the Cronwall Zetterberg Datsuk days are done. Obviously Datsuk because he's gone, but those guys are now your elder statesmen and they shouldn't be your top minute guys. And it's Tatar and Nyquist who should be running that team. And also maybe Brendan Smith on defense deserves a little bit more. Mm. Not, not Jonathan Erickson and Nicholas Cronwall. No, no, I don't think so. I mean, uh, I know. And a lot of people in Detroit love Danny DeKaiser too. And I'm not seeing that at being a great, fit either yeah Yeah, i mean he's okay but again i don't think he's a top pairing guy and i think that's probably the problem in detroit right now is they don't really have a a top defenseman although i really have a lot more respect for mike green than uh, most people Mm. uh so i mentioned i had had patch ready six and i I love the guy and i know that you do too so uh, you're closer to the situation in terms of you obviously cover the team for years and then you still live there and kind of follow the the local media like why is this guy seemingly kind of divisive amongst people in montreal why like just watch it looking at the results and then watching him play i mean i i would only love the guy if i was cheering for the canadians like i don't understand why people are kind of not sold on him as being a, a super high-end player i think if patcheretti was 511 and he had the same numbers people would not be so uh frustrated with him all the time but for whatever reason habs fans want him to be you know, like Cam Neely when he's really Marion Hosa. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, they want him to bowl through guys like Malkin and and dangle and shoot and score, but really he just uses guys for screens and then snipes top corner instead. And I, I think that a lot of people just don't understand that that's just as effective, if not more, in today's game. Uh, and he doesn't get a lot of credit for his defensive work. A lot of people don't like him as captain because he's kind of boring but uh, again maybe that's just his public face and people don't see what happens in the room he was voted captain by his teammates so i would give them you know the benefit of the doubt there mm-hmm. yeah but uh, there's nothing really that patcheretti's bad at he's not he's not the greatest playmaker but you know like his shot is top five in the league 
in terms of release and velocity. He, he just does everything well. And, and I think like the Marion Hosa comparison is apt. Like I think he's Hosa light, but I think that's the player in the last 20 years that he compares most strongly to. He, he's just an all around guy who puts up tons of goals and doesn't get the credit that he deserves. And maybe he won't until he's an elder statesman like Hosa is. And like, you know, Hosa didn't get a lot of good press until he was in Chicago. Yeah, that's true. I mean, listen, if you're getting like 30 plus goals from a guy who's also the second best penalty killing winger in the league and just can play in, in, in all three facets of the game, like, uh, and I, I'm pretty cool with that as being a uh, kind of the centerpiece on my team and also the captain. So, um, I don't really get the issue there, but let's get into the top five. Um, I, I, I love the, the, these guys that are going to come up now. I mean, I'm just in, enamored with them completely. And, and number five, the epitome of that is, is Philip Forsberg, who is before our very eyes, just blossoming into one of the best players in the league and is going to be the driving force for a national predators team that I think is, also going to be one of the best, but also one of the funnest teams to watch. Yeah, I had Philip Forsberg a little bit higher. I had at number five Taylor Hall. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I mean, I have, I have Hall four. Actually, I have I have Godro four, Hall three, and Forsberg five. But I thought all three of those guys were kind of right there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and all those guys all have uh, something in common. They like to carry the puck. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hall's probably the best at it. Um, kind of like uh, the Sedins in a way that. Taylor Hall on a team that cannot drive possession at all has been probably the best transition player in the entire league over the last few years. Uh, I, I liked what uh, Jen LC did when she did uh, her, her tracking project of like how goals are created. And when she was talking about Taylor Hall, that like more than any player in the league, Taylor Hall will create his goals from his own zone all the way through to the other zone and score. Mm -hmm. And like nobody else is really touching the puck. He doesn't really get any help and he he just does everything. And uh, I know that uh, Chris Boyle, he's also been looking at uh, which guys, you know, like create their own offense or create the high danger scoring chances in their zone. And when Hall's on the ice, he creates something like 60% of the high danger scoring chances for his team, which is just nuts for a single player. Yeah. Yeah. No, he's uh. He's amazing. I think that he's going to single-handedly make the Devils watchable this season, which is a testament to just how electrifying of its individual talent he is. Yeah, it's going to be fun to to watch how he fits in there and with a team with a bit more defensive structure that might, you know, like support him a little bit when he does his like high-flying moves. And I wonder like if he will see like a big bump in power play production with with the with a team that actually, you know, sets him up for success instead of just kind of lets them hang out to dry. Yeah, yeah, just give them the car keys and just do whatever you want, Taylor. Um, so Forsberg, um, I think he's one of my favorite players to watch in the league. He's just so insane. I mean, you mentioned how uh, just like Hall and, and Godreau, he's really great at carrying the puck, and just watching him kind of maneuver through the neutral zone and enter the offensive zone with it is just, just a thing to behold. And right now he's scheduled to play with Ryan Johansson and Kevin Fiala on the top line, and, and I'm – I just can't wait to watch those three guys together. I feel like uh, the combination of the skill and, and, and the physical tools there amongst those three is going to be just just beautiful chemistry and just beautiful to watch. And and I think that it's always tough to say whether he would 
developed the way he has. I mean, obviously he was regarded pretty highly, but I think even his biggest fans weren't necessarily believing that he had this sort of upside when he was coming into the league and he was a prospect. But I mean, imagine him on the Capitals right now instead of uh, the memories of Barnierat. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, I wonder how often the Capitals you know, look back on that trade and they're like, would we have won the cup last year if we had Philippe Forsberg instead of, like you said, the ghost of Martin Erat? And I don't know. I mean, they could have probably beaten the Penguins if they had another elite forward. That that would have been a big difference maker. Yeah. Um, the thing about Forsberg to me, like looking at uh, how he's developed is it kind of confirmed for me the way I evaluate prospects. It's like, Points are important, but I always try to look as much as I can at like shots or shot attempts if it's available. Mm-hmm. And every time I looked at Forsberg and people were like, oh, I don't know if he has the offense. And I would look at it and like he was leading his Swedish team in shot attempts. Uh, I believe he led the entire world juniors in shots when he was there. And I was like, no, th- this guy, he- he's putting pucks on net. And I-, I think that's a pretty good indicator that if a guy can do that, he's going to be a goal scorer in the NHL. Uh especially when he's doing it against elite competition. Yeah. And that, that's proved to be true. I mean, the only guy that I can think of that puts up elite shot rates and has not really developed into a great goal scorer is Evander Kane. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's had his one uh, really good season, but I think most of it's due to injury more than than uh, not really being a good shooter. Yeah. No, it's, uh, I mean, Forsberg scored 33 goals last year, and it's it's easy to forget, but, I mean, he just turned 22 years old. So I feel like uh, the possibilities are endless with him. Uh, the, the top two guys on my list, um, and I'm fascinated to ha- discuss this one guy because I know that you had him much lower on your list and caught a lot of flack for it, is Alex Ovechkin. And uh, I'll let you justify not even having him. I think you had him, what, 10th or 11th? Yeah, he he was tenth on the list. Although I, I bumped him up to number two on on this list, just because like before when I was doing my list, it was like part of it was my opinion in like weighting statistics. But you know, th- there's always a limitation in numbers to look at to a uh, goal scoring. I find like it's always a little bit underestimated. And Ovechkin is just you know the the greatest goal scorer in the history of the game, in my opinion. Like if you were to take Alex Ovechkin and give him era appropriate equipment and pop him into the 1980s, he's going to score like 115 goals, you know, like maybe even more. I was talking with the, with someone on Twitter the other day and he was like, if you put Alex Ovechkin in the sixties, how many goals would he score? Like you look at the way that goalies were back then, he would score like 500 goals in a season yeah. and he wouldn't even need like any help. He could play like three on five and skill still score 500 goals like he's just you know like most of his goals come from that patented one-timer but you put him in another era where there's like a little bit more lax checking and he's just going to use that that uh, screened wrist shot through the skates move and score every (laughs) every shift you know like he's just so incredible and to be able to do that obviously to score 50 in today's game i think you have to make some sacrifices on the defensive side Hmm. and he does that and that's not necessarily an indictment of Alex Ovechkin as it's using Alex Ovechkin's talents to the maximum for the Washington Capitals. And that's going to look bad in breaking down Ovechkin from like an all around point of view, but that's the best use of him as a player. 
Yeah. I mean, it was, it was funny to me last year, there was this kind of narrative being spun when the Capitals were the best team in the league and, and they were winning a lot. And, and it was like, Oh, Ovechkin's a change man under Barry Trot. You know, he's, he's finally gotten to him and showing him that you got to do these other things to win. And it's like, no, Ovi's pretty much the same player, which there's nothing wrong with because he's a, a generational scorer and no one can really do what he does in that regard. And, and I think just kind of surrounding him with better players and then just letting him do his thing is, is a winning recipe. Yeah. And I had a, a good friend of mine was like really pushing that narrative last year. And I kept on like kind of laughing at him and I was trying not to be like an arrogant jerk about it, but it was hard not to. And I was like, his defensive numbers are like the exact same, even like, I believe goals against were pretty similar too, but I think it was either Russian machine or Japer's rink broke down that uh, not last year, but the year before where he had the, the terrible plus minus his line mates had something like a 3% on ice shooting percentage at even strength, but like his was fine, but his line mates just could not score for whatever reason. And that's what was driving his bad plus minus. And it's like, you know, that, that has nothing to do with Alex Ovechkin. You know, he's not even the primary playmaker on his line, even though like he is underrated in that, in that component. So, you know, it's just another indictment of plus minus as a statistic. Yeah. No, uh, Listen, man, he's he's insane. The, the fact that he can just keep putting together these 400 shot seasons and, and 50 goal seasons, like no one is doing anything anywhere near resembling this. So uh, I think instead of just trying to pick holes in his game and trying to, you know, figure out why he can't get it done in the postseason, quote unquote, and, and, and overlooking the fact that he still produces quite a bit there is uh, we'll just let's just enjoy him because I don't know if we're ever going to see a guy like him again. Yeah, it's important, I think, to to look at these special guys and really appreciate it while we're seeing it. Because, you know, too often it's when they're, you know, Yager's age and we're like, oh, yeah, now we'll realize he's special. Like when I was a kid, I know like a lot of people hated Yarmer Yager because he was like the cocky Czech guy who was taking the Canadian game by storm. It's like, no, 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 like just appreciate this guy for what he is he has a great personality he's interesting and he's fantastic and you know like Ovechkin typifies that he's got one of the best personalities in the game uh, I mean like I still regularly watch that uh, video of when he scored uh, a hole in one like his first time ever yeah. playing golf and I swear to god like, <laughs> he's fantastic yeah, everything about life. Ovechkin yeah. yeah it's awesome and like I love the story last year that in his last game of the year uh, he didn't. Ha- he had like 47 goals, and I think it was Gretzky was like score 50, and he was like okay. Yeah. <laughs> and he just went out and scored a hat trick in the last game of the year. Like at will, this guy can just put the puck in the net. Yeah, it's insane. Um, and then Jamie Ben. Uh, listen, I, I feel like for a guy that uh, we have first here, and and, and is kind of generally regarded as just being an amazing player. Like I, I don't really even have much to say about him like he does everything well and if you were sort of creating a winger in a laboratory you would probably wind up coming out and looking like jamie ben yeah i i totally agree you know like he's a physical specimen he's a giant and obviously he's number one because jamie ben won't go down yes yeah <laughs> i'm leaving that one alone um <laughs> andrew on that note uh i think it's time to uh put a bow on on, on this podcast um when we come back we're gonna do the defenseman um so that's gonna be a, a pretty good discussion i feel like we're it's gonna be tough to do even do a top 10 list for defenseman i feel like we might just have to stretch it out to do a top 20 or top 25 because there's so many good deserving names but it's been fun ranking the wingers with you and we'll uh, we'll chat soon absolutely let's talk soon the Hockey PDO cast with Dmitry Filipovich. 
Follow on Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey PDOcast. Thank you.